Welcome to the 34 Quite a lot warmer. Yes, yes. Oh. I'm a valley girl. She's a valley girl. And I am just loving the the waves and the ocean. So you're we'll, a beach uh, bum. That's exactly. right. Exactly. So <laughs> so today, well, speaking of you know the pairs of opposites who are exactly together at the same time, we're going to talk about a romance novel. Yeah, and, uh, when we uh, when we read our our '80s romance novel, um, we had talked about contrasting it with something a little bit more modern. Because in the last, um, gosh darn, it's been forty years since the '80s. Um, God, that's crazy. I know yeah. it's ridiculous, and we're showing our age here. But there it is. Um, well, I wasn't even born, Dawn. That's what I find so astonishing about it. So. <laughs> You just yeah. keep telling people that. Yeah. Um, yeah but um, yes, yeah, so we wanted to read a, a, a more modern romance novel, something written within the last five years, and just see, you know, compare and contrast uh, what the language is like, what the, um, what the obstacles are that the, the fated couple must overcome in order to find true love. And, um, and we have definitely seen a difference um yeah there's a yeah uh, well and again uh, to to refresh I mean, when i when we talked about the romance novels i don't know it was two months ago maybe or mm -hmm. was it a month ago month or two months ago uh i one of the reasons i wanted to discuss is because i have no idea what the appeal is of these having never read one until our prisoner of desire which was our 80s romance novel right now we're we have a modern one and i'll confess i still don't know what people you know <laughs> <laughs> so well, anyway. um, so people get an idea of what we read. Uh, we read only for his lady, which is the first of a trilogy of stories called the Theodosia Sword trilogy, and it is by Christie Caldwell. And um, I have to say, I have to confess that I was absolutely delighted by this book. Now, how did you like it in relation to the last one we read? Well, the last one was super problematic. Mm -hmm. It was super problematic. It was very rapey and it trucked on some serious stereotypes of quote unquote women's weapons. And, uh, you know, the you mean, whole. You mean things like tears and emotions? Exactly. And, uh... Tears and being sassy and, um, and alluring, using sex as a weapon. 
and um, and basically tricking, you know, the whole like a man chases a woman until she catches him type of idea. But you um, didn't see that in this one because I, I there there is I there's not. a there. I, I, do I have my? I hope I have my um, copy right here. Um, because what I found really kind of annoying is that every time our heroine Theodosia. Mm -hmm. uh, so let's, let's give the listener the names of the, hero, the characters. Is Theodosia is our heroine, and the Devil Duke Damien is Damien Devlin, the Devil Duke. Yes, Indeed. yes. A lot of alliter alliteration going on there. Yeah, he is our um, he's our dangerous love interest for our protagonist. So right. Did you not note the number of times? that she puts arms akimbo, or somebody puts arms akimbo, a lady, when they're about to stand up to a man. And all I could picture was like these, those movies in like, in like the eighties, you know, and earlier, but particularly then where the, where the sassy gal balls her fists up, her little tiny little gal fists and puts it on her hips. And then, you know, pouts in the man, you know, stuff, by the way, so people understand, I can't stand. <laughs> and that's all, and that's exactly what I kept picturing in this one. This was like this. I thought it was just the same as the other book we read, the earlier book we read, except less rapey, without question. Um, but I also thought it was maybe this is just the era we're in. We're kind of in a. I I would you know this is a topic for discussion. I think a less sexually oriented era. We are less. We are very careful about that now. And so what comes off when I read it is like I'm reading a young adult novel, mm. like a novel for like a like a 13 year old, which you would hope would not have a lot of stuff in it. However, this is supposedly for adult people. Um, well, I, I, you know, I totally uh, that is a totally valid reaction to it. I, on the other hand, saw it as humorous. That there was a that there was a sort of undertone of humor about it, almost like, you know, isn't it ironic? Don't you think our culture is at this point um, cannot seem to look at anything without a little hint of irony? Yeah. And um, I, I felt very much like the writing was both reveling in the medium and also sort of gently poking fun at um, the genre at the same time. And that's why, uh, you know, to me, that was what the tone conveyed rather than um, it being a tone of, of youth and, um, and sort of uh, uh, innocence trying not to, you know, get into anything complicated and, and too okay. adult. Yeah. I, I, I just, I didn't get that at all. I felt uh, this, this, we're really having our Siskel and Ebert, Ebert moment. I, I look, <laughs> I was reading through this and I'm just like, who wrote this? Was this, I mean, and again, I'm very sensitive, you know, as a writer, I'm very sensitive to what writers, what the experience of being a writer is when someone reviews your work. Right. So this is right. not to say that the writer cannot write. The writer clearly can write. There's no yes. question about it. Yes. I think she made a choice. And the choice that was made, I interpreted as being much more adolescent in terms of the tone that she wanted to, to choose to write. And you, you chose the irony there. I, and, and the playfulness. The playfulness. I that would be the word that I think I would, I would use to describe 
how I interpreted the writing. Yeah, because I, I look at the earlier book that we read and it felt much more adult. It felt much more like a someone making an attempt at serious writing, even within a genre that sometimes people don't take seriously, but well, they should, as you pointed out, it's the genre that pays for all the other genres. Yes, book, yes, book exactly. So, so that's, yeah. Yeah, so let's, um, let's contrast our heroines. Um, Rowena Belem, our heroine from Prisoner of, of Desire or His Desire. I can't, oh my goodness, I can't even remember the title of the previous one. I'm a terrible person. Um, but uh, our- I think, yeah, I think, yeah. I think it's Prisoner yeah. of His Desire. Yeah, okay. Prisoner of Her Desire. Her Desire, sorry. Her Desire, yeah. That's right, because um, he was imprisoned by her. Right, yes, initially. And then she was imprisoned by him. Um, anyway, Theodosia, our heroine, or Theo, as she is often called by her family, she is no Rowena Belem, right? Rowena Belem was, was, uh, was, slender, blonde, flaxen-haired, giant, limpid pool, blue eyes, um, you know, had had swelling bosom and slender waist and delicate hands and all of those okay, things. Okay, halt. May I jump in? Okay, there's not much difference between Rowena Belem and our Theodosia. Here's the two differences. Oh, Theodosia, come on now. Theodosia has dark hair. And yes. she's curvier. That's it. She's not only that, she's short. She's 5'1", right? Well, Rowena's not exactly she's, a basketball player. I mean, But she's plump. <laughs> they describe her several times as being too chunky for the standard of English beauty. Sure, now, but that's it. She's, she's heavier. She's that's uh, it. clumsy. She's kind mm. of an oddball. She's on her third season and has had no offers whatsoever. So she's pretty much heading towards being a spinster. Okay, now again, hold on. So Rowena Bellem, <laughs> Bell it's not like she was out on the town partying. She couldn't even get, <laughs> she was first of all being controlled by her evil stepbrother, right? Yes. So, and then she was going to be sold off to some old man to be his, you know, his, this thing, his side piece. Right. right? So yes. she's not exactly like this, you know, like she but had all these, but she was beautiful and everyone who met her had a crush on her, right? Even her evil stepbrother who was controlling her was secretly wanting to bang her. Yes. And, but, you know, <laughs> but no, so no, is, Sean. Sean, so is, wrong. what's her just name? Accept, just accept that you're wrong. And we'll oh, my gosh. oh my God. Oh my God. They're both. See, that's what I find so funny about both books, and I get it. They're both beautiful. I mean, they describe what's her Theo as having cornflower. Was it my right? Cornflower blue eyes and like this perfect skin. It's you know, she's. It's not exactly like we're talking about someone. You know, this isn't like the Elephant Man or something that's being remade. She's she's and at this and plays no one. I'm just using that as an example. Right, but, as, a, as an example of what society considers ugly. Exactly, yes, exactly. right. So yes. Um, so yes, of course, she's not, she's not hideous and plague-ridden and, and, you know, yes, of course. But she's, she's unconventionally attractive. They, they mention a lot of times from her point of view, which I want to come back to, 
about how she compares herself to the to the tall, slender, pale English beauty that she feels is absolutely what she should be, and she is not. It's not like they picked uh, someone who was so different in this era that would have been like, whoa, like this this one is like, you know, maybe she would have had she could have had a, a wooden leg or something. You're completely quiet. I understand what you're saying, but I think you also need to take into account. Um, and this is, you know, this might be a situation of men and women go through life side by side, living in completely different worlds. Mm -hmm. um, but especially when we're looking at the romance genre where, you know, we're talking about we're talking about wanting to be loved. Mm -hmm. And the idea that she is not a perfect beauty, even if she's still, you know, lovely and he finds her attractive. Certainly does, absolutely. Yes, he does. You know, he mentions in his internal monologues about how, you know, anyone who doesn't want, uh, you know, two full handfuls of woman is, is crazy. Um, I think I think we all say that. <laughs> um, still, the fact that she is not a Mary Sue, she's not, um, you know, she's not ideal. She's not ideal for her time. She's not universally um, fawned over. Um, she's quirky. She's, uh, you know, she's scared of heights. She's has madcap schemes. She's, you know, she's, she's. She dangles her participles. She, exactly. She ends. Yes. She ends sentences on prepositions. I mean, come on. It's just, it's out there. This poor kid. Okay. But All right. I will. That, okay. Yeah. Okay. Even that little difference, even that little like off-centeredness is really comforting to read um, from the point of view of a woman because because we're, it, it's saying you can be imperfect and still find love. Okay, I, I will be, listen, I'll, I'll give the... <laughs> all right, all right. I'll give you, I, I, give I, me I, that I, point. All no, right. no, no, I absolutely, I absolutely <laughs> yeah. get it. I, I mean, and, and the Duke, interestingly, I think they balance because the Duke is supposed to be handsome, but, de, you know, scarred. So, quote unquote deformed. Yes, deformed. yes. I was going to say deformed, but I didn't want to yeah. assume. I was yeah. making that analysis. I know we live in careful times, but that's well, how he's described as, in the book. Yeah, at the time, you know. Again, we're looking back. We're using um, we're using uh, time in the undefined past um, so that we can say things like, you know, we wouldn't say he was deformed, but at that time, he would have been considered deformed right so yeah well i mean people i mean to be frank people would probably people still say crazy things now but yes, all right that is true that all right true. all right so okay, okay so, so we've got these two we've got these two ill-shapen uh just outcast lovers let's just oh, okay. say unconventional yes right. so let's talk about our man right oh. so our 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 hero our romantic male lead mm -hmm. um the duke of devlin um oh let me bring this up uh, since I've alluded to it a couple of times before. They are both unreliable narrators. 
which is okay, super fun, right? Okay. Mm-hmm. So we're 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 flipping back and forth between their two viewpoints, um, you know, either chapter by chapter or sometimes within the same chapter, um, we we flip from one viewpoint to the other, and they're both unreliable narrators, right? So. That's an, that is an interesting that she flips, the writer flips us back. Yeah. I think that yeah. is well nicely done. Nicely. Yeah. So we can, we can, you know, get inside the heads of both of these characters and find out, you know, again, like we talked about last time, it's the, it's the frison. It's the, the, the tension of, will they get together? Clearly they're meant for each other. Will they realize they're meant for each other? That makes up, the the excitement of a romance novel Mm -hmm. so by allowing us to go into each of their heads we can see number one they are absolutely meant for each other right they're falling in Mm -hmm. love with each other against their um, the will of their families Um, but at the same time they we can see that they're seeing things in each other that no one else has ever seen before Mm -hmm. and so our male lead um damien devlin is um is as we say he was born with a a a birth defect that is described as a scar um that travels from his uh, you know right across the his face from his the corner of his eye to his mouth he has this what looks like a scar and in an otherwise handsome man, he is now, you know, he's now imperfect. He's, he's the, the thing that you can't look quite at, right? He's used to people, um, you know, being hyper aware of the scar when they look at him, either uh, looking away from it and not being able to look at it or staring at it the entire time they're talking to him. Um, So again, Uh, just to jump in there, if if I may, um, I know I'm looking at this way too serious. I realize it's like, I, I, you know what it is I think that happens when I, when I read stuff like this. And so he has a scar, which in any other era, like maybe like a decade later would be called a dueling scar. And the ladies would be all a Twitter over it in the, you know, context of the time in the book. Read. <laughs> um, it's just so it's funny. It's like, I always remember, I think, well, I think it was Rachel Lee Cook. And there was a, was it 10 things I hate about you? It was some movie she was in. Okay. And she's wearing, they put her up with, they give her glasses and maybe they put her hair in a little bun. It's like she looks like a model. It's just like a model right. with glasses and her hair in a bun. She's not an ugly duckling. But then, of course, at some point in the film, the glasses come off and the hair comes down. And, oh, look, she's so pretty. She she's was pretty to be. Exactly. exactly. Yeah, she yeah. was pretty in scene one. It didn't. Yeah. So yes. when I hear the Devil Duke has a scar and that, you know, uh, Vio is, you know, curvy. It's like, okay, all right. So I get it. I do get it. I do get yeah, it. but again, it. remember. That's what happens to me. I yeah, read it and I'm like, yeah, come yeah. on. These are two beautiful, noble people. Yes, but they, you know, again, we're, they're unreliable narrators and we're hearing the thoughts inside their own head. And they both, you know, he thinks of himself as as hideous because of this scar. Um, and you know, that does something to his self-esteem. It has, you know, you know what I, has, see here, I see, I see, I yeah. see actually it's interesting. I see what the, the point you're driving at in terms of their, yeah. from the unreliable narrative standpoint, I hear what you're saying. It's like, wow, that is actually, that is interesting. We are really hearing it from each of their standpoints. 
even though from the outside, each of us, if we were there at the ball with them, right, and, it, and we weren't, you know, if we weren't driving from the valley to the beach and we we're just going to the ball somewhere there, we'd say, wow, what a handsome couple. Exactly. But in their heads, they're going, we're not really that. Exactly. Okay. She's, All right. she's thinking, I'm, I'm short, I'm fat, I'm clumsy. You know, I, I have this weird uh, condition where when I'm nervous, I blink my eyes rapidly. You know, she's thinking, no one wants me. And he's thinking, you know, I have this hideous scar. I never smile. People are only interested in me because I happened to have been born first. And they're after the title and the money. And no one really wants me for me. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. No, I think it's. I think that's a. I I absolutely hear that point, and it gives me a different, a, a different perspective on just what where the writer takes this. I'm still. You don't have to book. love it. Yeah. No, no, I, yeah. exactly. Yeah, I'm still, exactly. Uh, well, well, I mean, look, I, I mean, I've said this each of the times we talk about. It. I am not the target market for this genre. But I am interested in it. I am interested yeah, in understanding yeah. it. But I'm absolutely not the target market. There were no references to quarterbacks or <laughs> like where where is the stuff in this book for people like me? Where's the reference to nunchucks and <laughs> there were no fights? There were no <laughs> there were no jujitsu fight scenes. I mean, I was just like, why? 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 Why isn't every piece of art made for men, right? <laughs> Why is that? We, I'm gonna. That's right. I'm gonna initiate the first. Who can you first complain to about that? Male, yeah, I'm gonna go to in the next man council meeting. We have our man, our patriarchy meeting. I'm gonna bring this up. It's time for a male-centered uh, male a romance from a male from a man's romance novel from a man's standpoint. All right, I'm sorry. Oh, Go on. Oh yes. Go All on. right. You're right. You let me know how that turns out. Yeah. Exactly. Um, okay. So, so the the novel, as we mentioned, is is quite short. It's I'd say it's you know an hour and a half, two hours read, tops. It's um. Yeah. And it's it's just enough to tell the story. This is this is not even a slow burn. This is a no burn. This yeah. is pure romance novel. There is there is kissing. There's kissing and um maybe a little bit of uh petting outside the clothes. And I, uh, I and think she it. showed she showed her ankle once oh she showed goodness. she showed her ankle once so let's make sure the reader listeners know that yes they have started at one point they start when they give in to their feelings for each other finally they start to uh, get hot and heavy and are immediately interrupted by uh her brother who um you know who is uh is horrified by this lack of decorum and and um, and punches out the Duke for his for his admittedly inexcusable behavior. Now um, we should let everyone know that the, the central point that we haven't pointed that we have not mentioned is that the two families, Theos and the Devil Dukes, mm -hmm. are and are enemies. They're yes. ancient enemies. It's a Romeo and Juliet situation. It is absolutely a Romeo and Juliet situation. Yes. And, um, and it, you know, contributes to this sort of, will they be able to overcome their, 
their, you know, their uh, situation and realize that they are perfect for each other. And the beautiful thing about it is, you know, part of the reason why I love this book is that we, in getting inside their own heads, we see them keeping pace with one another in this journey, right? It's not like she falls in love with him and then sets about to make him fall in love with her. They are both wrestling with their feelings, but they're pretty much doing it in pace with one another. Um, you know, they realize in the same way at very much the same time that, you know, that it's it's no longer about the sword, that they genuinely want to see one another and they start finding excuses to see one another one more time, one more time, just one more time. I just have to return these hair combs and then I'll never see her again. I'm just going to go to this one ball where I know he'll be and then I'll never see him again. And Listen, um, what, what guy hasn't said, I'm just going to return her hair combs and that's it. Exactly. So, exactly. Well, we, did, we have to point out a little bit about the plot because we're talking about some things right. here that they don't know. So the idea is those are, there are these two rival families, these enemy families, there is uh, one is uh, just being awash in fortune. There are things, everything's going their way. And the other seems cursed. And the belief is that the fortunate family, that's the Duke's family, uh, has a sword, which Theo's family, the seemingly accursed family, believes is rightfully theirs and was stolen from them and is the cause of their ruin. The sword is a good luck charm. It's a powerful talisman. And so Theo, after we hear about a bunch of mis uh, uh, unfortunate occurrences that, uh, that happen that befall her family, decides she's going to break in and get the sword back from the Devil Duke's family. And that's how she and the Duke encounter each other. She right. goes to a ball. She sneaks into a ball, I believe it a is. A costume ball. Costume so that she ball. can be masked. Exactly. And then she sneaks into his office and while she's trying to steal the sword he comes in she mistakes him for the helper of her friend the friend that uh, the nobleman that got her into this costume ball. right that snuck her into the ball yes she mistakes the duke for being uh, this helper and you know obviously that's a playful scene and then she figures out she finds out that it's actually the duke himself the man's uh, the man from whom the sword is sword is being stolen and romance unfolds and right romance ensues yeah and you know again um the 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 sort of meet cute that they have is is um gives her an opportunity or gives him an opportunity to see her in a natural setting, right? Like she is talking to him as if he were a friend of a friend. And so he gets to see like, you know, all of her quirks and idiosyncrasies and, and um, eccentricities and all that sort of thing. And she sees him as this sort of, you know, awkward, but kind of cute guy that she, you know, kind of maybe would like to talk to again. And it isn't until the very last moment of the scene when they've already sort of, you know, taken an interest in each other, um, that uh, that he reveals himself as the Devil Duke, and and she, bless her, sweeps out of the room, and he is just, you know, captivated by the fact that she is not um, either horrified or kowtowed by him. Um, 
so they go about, yes, and some of the misfortunes that her family has suffered is, um, is directly related to his family in that her eldest brother was in love with a woman who um, accepted a proposal, said yes, and is in, now affianced to one of the Duke's brothers. So there was a fight over a woman, and now her eldest brother has lost who he considered his love to this, you know, to the brother of the Duke and, um, and is wallowing in despair about it is just drinking and going to clubs and basically feeling really sorry for himself. And, um, and, you know, everyone is tiptoeing around him and it isn't until the end of the novel when, um, when Theodosia has fully accepted that she is in love with the Duke, that she is able to stand up to her brother and basically, basically say, look, if she loved you, she'd marry you. She doesn't love you. That's not the, you know, the Duke's brother's fault. It's just the way it is. Get over yourself. Now, uh, what do you say to the fact that maybe the, that, well, I guess we would, we could argue that she, the, the her brother's, Beloved maybe was not worthy because she chose, maybe she loved the brother, but she chose perhaps title or privilege or wealth over. Yeah, who knows what her reasons exactly. were. Exactly. But so. the fact of the matter is she she chose someone else and he needs to get over himself. Mm-hmm. And then, so. of course, in a sort of, um, and then in a sort of um, a plot point borrowed from Pride and Prejudice, uh the the duke after they uh after they fight for one another and overcome her youngest brother's lies because you know boy gets girl boy loses girl um it isn't until they both see the truth of their affection for one another and have faith in one another um that the duke then turns around and helps her find her long lost brother um who was uh, taken prisoner in the war? He's been off fighting, and um, and was uh, MIA for a while, literally missing in action for a while. Um, well, and the Duke uses his influence to rescue her brother and bring him home. It's you know comparing it to the early novels. Maybe you do go back to our comparisons. It's interesting that you know all the things you're pointing out are about personality and character in the in these two leads these two individuals with relation to how they fit into their world with relations to being accepted and maybe that's partially why i look at this as being more of a young adult kind of a novel it's like you know do i fit in am i pretty am i misshapen etc etc whereas with the earlier one you know when you're when the context of your story are is is two people who take, you know, switch off tying each other up and making them, you know, imprisoning each other. You're in a different realm. You're in a different kind of story. Yes, yes. You know, you that, that one is much more about the the carnal intensity between the two. There, it yes. is absolutely about that sort of thing. Yes. Um, whereas this is sort of like, I, I it feels from my reading, like something like, Ooh, but this let's let's not let's not talk about that. Like, they'd be giggly and a little bit embarrassed to have any of that context in there. So it just feels different. But like yeah. you say, you yeah. see it as a, as kind of an ironic take on it. 
that didn't play to me as well, but mm -hmm. I do get where these two characters are, we're hearing their own insecurity. And maybe again, that's it. They have, they, that's maybe a great comparison. Each of these two, both our two leads in this one, are completely insecure about who they are. Yes, and in yeah. the earlier one, they are not. They are just, they're like, I know what I got, who I am, how strong I can be. I will will my way through anything. Yeah. And it's two really strong beings. Almost uh, to the point of being over strong, you know, pig-headed, essentially. Yes, exactly. Yeah, and they, exactly. and they, you know, they, they butt heads throughout the whole thing. And that's sort of the conflict is, are they going to, are they going to learn to soften and be vulnerable for one another? These two are, are vulnerable from the beginning and they realize on their own. And I would say that this is actually a sign of more maturity is that they both realize on their own that they are making each, that they are bringing out the best in each other, right? Like the hero, there's a, a, a bit where his brother catches him smiling and is saying like, I've seen you smile more in the last two days than I have in the last two years. And the hero thinks about this and thinks, yeah, yeah, she's she's making me smile. And and is happy for that rather than like, damn her, she's controlling me. You know, it's a much more mature response to the situation. I, I wish I had a, a yawning sound effect. Because <laughs> I'd rather one with the other two, whether, I don't know. It's just, I, I get it. I just, I feel like we live in an era that is so, it's, it's, it's weirdly Victorian, right? Our era now. It's like, uh, for, for good, in many ways, we're very careful about certain, many things, but okay. But for ill, there is absolutely no edge. In my opinion, there's, we, we've lost a lot of our edge, a lot of our, our excitement, all of our danger. Danger is part of, the, by definition, part of things that are not safe or secure. Uh, it, they're also danger can be exciting. Now, danger is also danger. So we understand that we have to be careful about that as well. But in fantasy world of reading, mm -hmm. the first novel is much more interesting to me because there's more danger involved in that novel. Mm. There's much more, the, the stakes are higher, the, the payoff is bigger, you know, with these, the bodies colliding. This one is just, you know, this is your grandma's romance. This you, you could read this with your grandma. You can't read that last one, I don't think. And I'm not crazy about, you know, again, these aren't, this is not, I'm not the audience, this is not my genre, but you know, the last one just comparatively has more edge. And it's interesting because what it reminds me of, I think I told you about this on our other podcast channel, The Parallax with um, Dr. Gary Stickle, we did a review of Clash of the Titans. We did the two ones, one from 1980 and one mm -hmm. from 2010. So it's mm -hmm. around the same time frame, right? And what stood out to me was twofold. One of the things I told you was the difference in how women were part of the first one and not the second one. Right. Okay. But also it was maybe because you have this powerful female element, there was this greater sense of sexuality and daring in that as opposed to the latter, which was like just two friends going along their way. And then at the end, they kind of say goodbye to each other. 
uh, the male and female characters in the film. So it just feels like these are very reflective well, of their era. That's well, I okay. I, I would say you're wrong because I have read plenty confession time. I have read plenty of, of romances that have been written recently that were steamy, steamy, steamy. Indeed. Whoa. Yes. Wait, indeed. but I'm but uh, to be fair, to be fair to me, mm -hmm. I'm talking about these two novels. Yes, absolutely. Not yes. about whether other novels yeah. are other. So yeah. I, I I believe that I'd, I'd, I'd like to if, I'd like to hear about that. Yes, but, yes. Well <laughs> but I would say if you're saying that these novels are indicative of an entire era, then I would say to you, eh, we chose we chose one that was more tame and less dangerous, but that doesn't mean that um, more dangerous um, and more uh, blatantly sexual, uh, steamy romances aren't still being written. Well, two, um, they two are. things. This is just not one of them. Two things then. Okay, so we're going to have to pick one of those. And then, <laughs> and then second, though, okay, though uh, that's the case, and I, I it, quite seriously, I am interested in Will at some other point exploring the what we're saying right now, the mm -hmm. difference in errors, how it affects women, how it affects sexuality. I think it's a great topic for discussion. But I would still say that this one novel, in terms of what I see in film, this feels more of this moment than what you're describing as these others. But I'd love to hear about these others and see yeah, maybe what, yeah. what do they represent? Maybe, maybe I'm missing something that is around in this moment. That is dangerous. That well, maybe isn't in mainstream media, but is out there in big. You know, I in think big way. also, and I'm you know here we're we're moving into larger themes again. But I would say that one of the things I like about this novel is that. Okay, so here we go again with men and women live in the same world in two different worlds right next to each other. Mm -hmm. I am not particularly interested in finding danger in my romantic relationships. Mm -hmm. um, because if that is the case, then it is generally me that's going to get hurt mm -hmm. as the woman, right? So like, it completely makes sense, sure. Yeah, the frisson of danger is generally because a woman is in danger. You know, this guy yeah, could turn I, out to be... although I was be, not going there. Yeah, but, yes, but this guy, yeah. you know, his violent temper or his pig-headedness could turn out to be the sign of an abuser. Could turn uh, out, mm -hmm. you know... Yeah, totally, I know. Totally, Just totally. let me finish the point. Yeah, yeah. The point is that when we talk about, you know, when we read romances where, you know, uh, the Prisoner of Her Desire, he had the tools and the means to really hurt her. He threw her in jail without realizing that the jailer that was in charge of her was a rapist. And it was only, you know, at the last minute that he switched to jailers, but his negligence could have led to her being truly traumatized. Mm -hmm. um, so I am not so interested in reading romances where the woman is is being victimized by patriarchal society and manages just because she finds this one guy to find happiness but hold on now let me jump in 
because you're characterizing Okay, I'm not done something. with my point. Okay, but, but just point so yet. you know, you're mischaracterizing yeah, right. what I'm all saying. Right. So I want to be uh, careful of that. Um, just really want to be careful of that. Yeah, let me finish. Okay. The reason that I find this particular style of romance more appealing, even though it has less sex, which I do like, I do like the sex, but um, is that these two characters are not there. They find each other by growing in their maturity and they find each other in a world that is not is is not more brutalizing to the woman than it is to the man. Okay, so now I've finished my point. Say what you need to say. Well, no, I'm, what's important to me though, Don, is I think you're mis I think you're mischaracterizing my point. My point isn't that danger by definition is a patriarchal oppression of a situation of romance romantic situation with a woman. I was talking about anything in culture or anything as a writer in conflict that makes a story interesting to me. And what makes a story interesting to me, and I think has always has been the case for you know many, many centuries, is, is some sort of conflict. Now, there is that conflict here. I'm not saying there isn't. I'm saying but that, that conflict is very tame to me. You know, you, there's a lot of different ways you can go this that don't involve anything rapey or oppressive that would still have danger. Now, the first one- Give me one, some examples. Well, let me go first for the first okay. one. The first one has that, right? The first one has the, the extreme, you start with something extreme and rapey. And the problem I had with the first one is because it plays on the notion that that is a desire of many, that is a female desire to have that kind of oppression. I don't think that is, is even close. How could you have something that's dangerous in the story? Well, it's easy. He could have been from a completely different country. She could have been from a completely different class. She could have been the child of, of um, uh, thieves or, or a, an organized gang. I mean, there's any number of ways you can come up to make two characters particularly dangerous to each other and that the stakes might be higher. Or there may be someone in peril in the family that sword needs. You need that in order to get someone out of some situation. There's any number of things you can pick up. But going back to the, spe the specifics of the two of them, you can still have even that kind of danger in their romance, even on a sexual level or a romantic level, by going just beyond the fact that they're both kind of quirky outsiders. That's all I'm saying. To me, that is a really tame and very, very young kind of choice. Just to me, it doesn't have to be for everybody then you can also, you know, so for me, that's why I say it reflects in culture, not specific to just how patriarchy interacts with the female, but just everything in culture, right? Because that's, uh, that I see in entertainment, that's a very broad statement. What I see in entertainment is a, a, ten, a carefulness that is born from good sentiments of not wanting to offend. But sometimes that can go to the point of being incapacitating from telling a story. And that's all. Uh, I mean, I clearly have a reason to be concerned with how different kinds of people are perceived in culture. So it's not like I'm blowing off the idea of being careful not to offend. I'm just saying you can take more risks in a lot of ways. And sometimes that's where interesting things occur, like you had in the 30s and 40s in movies.
But I'm not saying I want to see the threat added in there towards women. This is a female genre. I'm saying there are other ways to make it, I at least think, more spicier and more interesting for me. But again, I'm not the I'm not the target audience. Right. So right. someone yeah. else, you you again, you're you're the target audience. You're one of the part of the target audience. Women aren't a model. Sure. Sure. Uh, yeah, I mean, specifically women my age are the largest demographic for reading these books. So I am 30 exactly, to 35. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah. I am exactly the target audience for these books. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, okay. So let's, let's, so going back to just the, the, the two of them. So do I get that, you know, prisoner for desire and the, what is this called? Theodosia? It's not the Theodosia sword. That's a series. The name of this one? Oh, for his lady. For his lady. Cause it's yes, serious. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So you prefer this one. Only for his lady. Sorry. Mm. Um, yes. Oh, yes. Absolutely prefer this one. The the other thing that I harp that I um, kept hitting uh, when we were talking about prisoner of her desire is agency. Mm. That from the from you know word one from the first sentence of that novel, um, Rowena had no agency. She was put into situations where her agency was completely stripped from her. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, you know, that was why her uh, plump, happy maid um, had to had to <laughs> remind her uh, that the only weapons that she had available to her were those of manipulation. Right? That she she had no agency to act directly, so she had to use quote unquote women's weapons, and those are you know uh, w- weapons of manipulation. Um, whereas Rowena. Uh, uh, excuse me, Theodosia, she um, has agency from the beginning. She sneaks out to go to ball. She's not supposed to go to. Mm-hmm. She finds a way to get into his office. She she makes a plan and carries it out. Um, so she is the she is the driver of her own life. She is not a victim. She's not responding to situations that are completely out of her control where she has no power whatsoever. So number one, you know, that I love that about this novel over the other one. Um, and then, uh, I like it because I like it more because both characters evidence a healthy growing maturity throughout the process of the novel. You know, the big, um, the big lie that, uh, that, um, that was present in, um, prisoner of her desire, you know, that, that, uh, our, our hero believed up until the very end, um, that, you know, she had done, she had done him wrong out of a sense of personal, um, avariciousness, you know, she wanted an heir so that she could contr- have power or whatever. And it wasn't until after he had actually forgiven her for that, it wasn't until like the second to last chapter in the book that he finally was made to understand that she had had no choice in the matter from the first moment. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas when the lie is introduced in this book again in the second to last chapter where her brother says you know this whole thing was her evil plan to get you to fall in love with her so that she could steal the sword and no one would ever love you 
you know, how dare you think that she would actually fall in love with you? That he goes home in, you know, in a moment of 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 pain and violent response, but as soon as he sits down and thinks about it, he realizes that's not who she is. That the woman that he knows would never have done that. And he trusts his own feelings and he trusts her to, to dismiss the brother's lie almost within the same chapter. You know, he doesn't need to have the evidence laid out and proved to him before he realizes, you know, that that, that was a lie and, and learns to trust her. Um, he f- works it out on his own. He figures it out on, the, on his own that that's a lie. Mm-hmm. And that to me shows a much healthier relationship goal between the two of them than, um, you know, the sort of um, tempestuous, uh, full of peak sort of, you know, uh, coming together that happens in Prisoner of Her Desire. Okay. Yeah, I, I mean, for me, again, I, I like the way the first one was written, although I was not a fan of the first one, as you can hear the motorcycle gang. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Speaking um, of danger. Speaking of danger, exactly. That's going to be my new romantic novel, folks. It's about a lady motorcycle gang. And anyhow. Uh, so I, I, which is probably what I would write about. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I look forward to reading it. <laughs> yeah, I'll have to add that to my list. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I thought the first one was written better, and that was mainly that's the main difference. I had a big problem again, like you did with the first one, where it's just it it's just rapey in all kinds of yeah. weird ways. Um, it it had both of them for me. For me, both of them have these kinds of retrogressive uh, character female characters I, I still found both of them kind of you know stamp your foot and pouch your lip kind of characters that's the way they both land on me um i think the world i mean to be fair we we've only got a i've only gotten a piece of this theodosia sword world so i don't know how involved and invested it becomes i've started to look further ahead um so we'll see we had much more intricate universe in the first one so that seemed more interesting to me but that's not a fair comparison so just basically off the top of my head i'd say i like the writing better in the first one i thought there was more of there's more tension and energy but that that comes in this case you know you know as you mentioned it comes at the expense of a kind of oppressive kind of danger patriarchal kind of danger not the kind of danger i'd like to see so so there's that problem too. So, but this one really just landed on me even more. So it just felt more childlike in its writing. So I think that was my my main problem with it. It just felt like you know a little kid writing, and you know they don't want to say anything bad. And I, I don't know. It just was a little too. It was a little too precious. Milk, precious and milk toast. You found it's it like, a little too precious. It's yeah. like a it's like a like high school teacher once said of a of a kid's essay. He said, after reading your essay, Jeff, I got the impression that I had just finished a warm glass of milk. So that's kind of the way I felt after I finished <laughs> <laughs> this, this book. And you know, 
if you're looking for a warm glass of milk, ain't exactly. nothing wrong with that. Yeah, absolutely. You know what? Hundred yeah. percent right. Hundred percent. Right. Yeah. Exactly. All right. So I think. So uh, uh, our Siskel and Ebert is. Uh, I give it a thumbs up, and you I, give it a thumbs down. I thumbs down. We're gonna have to find. You know, on the on the other podcast, we have uh, a rating system. So we got to find our matriarchal rating, our matriarchal romance rating system for these. Uh, because we do I, like I would, five shields I, on the other one. But I would just to introduce to you that the whole idea of a rating system uh -oh. is not particularly matriarchal, Sean. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Or, or, or in my case, I'd rather go... I think it is, Dawn. I don't know. All right. Okay. Mother of all well, or mother of none, Sean. Oh, that's interesting. So you really, so you think kind of a, the thumbs up, thumbs down is more matriarchal than stars. I'm just curious. I mean, it's just, it's an interesting idea. I, I'm saying rating like that, that rather than rating it, saying this has a, a what's the word I'm looking for? This has an absolute measure of goodness or badness mm -hmm. i'm saying looking at it for what it is and saying if you like this and if you're looking for this then this is what this is and you will like this whereas if you're looking for this other thing you won't like it wait a minute you just gave it a thumbs up that's not saying that <laughs> <laughs> so we'll confuse the listener they're gonna be like what so do i read this don't i don't I read this? This is good. Okay, what's our next romance novel? Come on, what are we doing? Oh next? Lord, oh Lord! I think where, we'll have to. Where, where are those saucy novels you were just telling me about? Let's get one oh, of those. Oh, Sean, I I tried to have you read one of those, and you got to a certain point, and you. <laughs> oh, that's so. right. All right, all right. We'll talk about this off air. Okay, we'll, we'll see. We'll talk about this off air. we get that one. Yeah. All right. I mean, oh. I can show you something. That uh, that I would give two very firm thumbs up to that I think you would run screaming from. So oh well, then we're gonna have to talk about that. Well, on that note, <laughs> I want to thank you all for listening. If hopefully you've enjoyed our conversation, this foray for me at least anyway into a strange new world, a world of dawns. Indeed, where... <laughs> a world made by for by and for women. Oh, my. All right. Well, this has been the 34th Cersei Salon, Make Matriarchy Great Again. I am Sean Marlon Newcomb, and this is... Don Sam Alden. Thank you And all. thanks for joining us. Thanks, everybody. Take care, everyone, and blessed be.